Episode 197 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the American supermodel and actress Margot Hemingway, granddaughter of the writer Ernest Hemingway and sister of the actress Mariel Hemingway. In the 1970s, Margot was pictured on the cover of magazines such as Cosmopolitan, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue and Time. She signed a million-dollar contract with Fabergé Inc. as the spokesmodel for Babe Perfume. Among the movies Margot acted in were Lipstick, Killer Fish, They Call Me Bruce and Over the Brooklyn Bridge. Sadly, Margot's life was marred by child sexual abuse, epilepsy, dyslexia, depression, alcoholism and bulimia. On July the 1st, 1996, at the age of 42, Margot was found dead, apparently having committed suicide, in her studio apartment in Santa Monica, California, where we did this interview only five years before. Apologies for some sound interference. Margot was having her hair and makeup done at the same time. And as you will hear, she seemed in very good form. Should we talk about South Africa first, because you're just back from what you were doing out there. South Africa, it's such a rich country. My friend Sherry Briggs and myself, we were involved with something called the Wild Foundation, which is uh, a wilderness leadership school that we're setting up here in all, in all different places in, in America, and it's affiliated with the Wilderness Leadership School over there. Gary Player, who's the famous golfer, and his brother Ian Player, who's a very famous um, conservationist, invited us to come over and take a look at this area called St. Lucia. And that is a very beautiful, pristine um, national park, which has been threatened by this place called, or this company called the Richardson Bay Mining Company. I think the parent owner is um, Rio Tinto Zinc, my tiny rolling <laughs> in London. <laughs> I gotta get to him. Anyway, I was brought in to take a look at this area and how beautiful it was and be taught about what's going on there. And what happened was is I had no idea how far this had progressed and they want to go in there and just completely screw it up. And they have a lot of they have a lot of property that they can mine. I mean this is like a very small area where there's hippo and plant life and and it's very very sensitive. And so we brought this to public awareness. In what way? You were making a documentary. I made a small documentary, and then I went on Good Morning South Africa and did all the newspaper and radio shows and stuff, and now they're, like, voting on the issue on the, on the tele, they have a television call-in poll and stuff, and we caused quite a commotion. So it worked in that respect? I hope so. We're still finding out. The people over there that are fighting for these conservation issues, Ian Player, and, and this, I mean, it's taken takes a lot of years to fight these people off because of the, the country is so rich. We're not against mining, but we're against mining in this, in this one area because it's so beautiful and it's a pretty big country. Why do you decide to take up on this kind of an issue? Well, I travel the world. I consider myself uh, a global uh, traveler. And it's mine just as much as it is everybody else's. And basically, all these places have to be should be protected for the children, or for at least four or five generations, or a couple of generations, and then let, let them decide what to do. 
because the more you can't take you can't restore what god has put down you know they say they can restore it they have this whole restoration of of the dunes and everything all planned out but first of all when you don't know you don't know and there's plenty more to that they have that they can work with to bring out their nine billion dollars worth of titanium i mean they've got a lot of property to screw up <laughs> hate to put it like that but the, or to work with i should say <laughs> In the last 10 years or so, there's been a heck of a lot of publicity about the environment and conservation and so on. Do you think yeah. there's a danger we might get too much and that people might go the other way and say, oh, for goodness sake, we've no. had too much? Of no, because, I mean, you have industry. It's, it's about, we are, I consider myself, you know, as a caretaker. We are caretakers of this earth, and um, I believe in balance. Balance, I was brought up in Idaho. My father is a... Um, ecologist and conservation and he was a fish and game commissioner of, of Idaho and probably one of the world's most uh, renowned fly fishermen considered and um, you know I'm prejudiced I love my dad but he taught I mean I used to be a hunter I still am a fish fisherman catch and release fly fisherman but um, I don't hunt anymore just because I don't I just don't but I'll eat birds <laughs> anytime or go with anybody <laughs> but um I believe that there is a balance. I mean, we've gone in and we have screwed up the balance of nature just so much that there is a certain amount of hunting that should be done. You know, I'm not taking that away. I'm not against shooting altogether. But um, it's all about balance. And people's awareness do that. Do you think it's your responsibility as a celebrity to do what you can because you will yeah. be listened to? Absolutely. And um, also my responsibility as a, I take the same stance as a healer. And, you know, this work gives me so much gratification if I can bring this to a public awareness and let people decide for themselves. But it's the people that make the difference. Because if they don't go out there and do something about it and raise their voice, these guys that are, like, making billions of dollars on taking from the earth, you know, I mean, they're going to continue to do it, and that money's not being shared. They say that they're creating jobs. Basically, in this one, okay, for instance, this one area, they're creating 138 new jobs for how long? Ten years. I've experienced strip mining in Idaho, and um, if this stuff doesn't last, and the place is ruined, and they go out. And with an ecological program, you have people that will be employed for, you know, a long time. But, you know, it's a, it's a question of bringing that to light and letting people, because they're the ones who can make the change. So as, as, as a well-known person, yeah, I, I consider it an honor to be able to do this work because it, it does fulfill me. I imagine you get asked to help a lot of worthy causes. Is it difficult to sort of... Just well, you know what? Work? There's only so much you can do. And, there, and the, you do the things that, that warm your heart and mean something to you. Because, for instance, if I, if I get a commercial, if I start plugging, um, let's say, uh, a skincare line or I get a hair product, I have to like it, you know. I, I, when I come from the heart, I'm a very powerful person. But when I'm not very good at lying about something, you know. <laughs> so if I'm going to promote something, it's got to be something that I, I truly feel, feel for. And I think that's the way in life. I mean, we're trying to do, look at this presidential campaign and everything. You've got to find somebody who's really no, means they're coming from their heart and not their head. And that's the whole, that's what the healing process is all about. Have you always been that aware, or have you just sort of built that up over the years? Um, 
I have been awake and aware for about five years, but I've always been very sensitive, and I didn't, I was so full of fear before, and, um, um, but you never know it, you know, because of my stature and my stance and cruising through life, and I travel, and, you know, but basically I was going so fast that I was, like, trying to dull the pain, but um, I've had a lot of, lot of personal stuff to work through, and, um, you know, the first step to, to feeling good is, is uh, you have to walk in truth and be able to look at yourself in the mirror and to be able to, you know, speak the truth. <laughs> and sometimes it's not so easy. But the minute you do, one, the minute that one, a person starts working for themselves in a positive direction, everything turns around. It's just, it, that's a universal law, you know. If you, if you have demons inside yourself and you demand them to leave, they have to go away. Things turn around for people, but you know it takes it takes. Uh, life is basically application of will. Unfortunately, <laughs> but I mean I like to play as, as as hard as the rest of them. Believe me, and I had my fair share of fun. It wasn't all trying to drown out pain because I did have a lot of fun in the in the, in, the, in you know the destruction too. <laughs> have you identified where the pain originated from? Um, it's a lot of lineage stuff, family stuff. I mean, I, it's a great honor to be Margot Hemingway, but not until I started to figure out all this stuff that I had to, you know, take away the charges did I realize that I was born into it, you know. And when my grandfather had a lot of demons that he had to work through, and it's um, it's too bad that he wasn't able to. But you know, so there's one in, in the healing. This is a really fascinating thing. In the healing work, there's one person in the family that will carry a DNA, the DNA um, encodement. And I mean, Can you just explain the DNA. The encodement? DNA is your cell structure, and and you know, like what you're inherited with. Like if you, you carry the traits of your your father, your grandfather usually comes in threes and stuff like that. And um, like your brothers and sisters will carry certain parts of it, but there's one person that holds the line, and I'm the, I, I'm the middle girl, I guess I hold it for the family, and I found that the more work that I've done on myself, the rest of the family changes, and it's just wild, you know, and you don't have to say anything about it, you know, and there's no reason to, but it's all for positive stuff, and it's a chain reaction for the rest of, of the rest of the world to see and, like, get off on it, so when I talk about this stuff, I mean, it's my, it's one of my greatest pleasures because I can say what I told you before I can say now for the first time in my life it's like I ha I'm starting to feel peace of mind and it's like the best the permigrants are back <laughs> has it been a great problem to live up to this name Hemingway well I never knew it and I was born dyslectic and so one of the one of the interesting things is is that you know you're a Hemingway and you can't read <laughs> which in a way worked to my great advantage because Growing up, I didn't know how strong, um, I mean, I was like up in Idaho, and I was an athlete, and I, and school wasn't, the teachers were terrible up there anyway, and I had, part of the problem was, is when you're dyslectic and, and teachers don't know you are, and kids don't know you are, you have a reading disability, or a learning disability, they, they call you stupid, so I had to work through that whole um, self-esteem stuff. But was it worse for you because of the expectations upon you? Probably. Probably, but I would never say so because I, I don't know. But um, um, on the other hand, it's allowed me to get to places quicker. You know, it's allowed me to open doors faster. So, you know, it all, it all balances out in the end.
it's it's been heavy, but it's been also pretty fun too. So. How is your relationship with your family now? It's great. It's better than ever, and with my sister also, my little sister. But she's working a lot now. She just got a television series. How do you describe your upbringing? <laughs> well, um, I was brought up with the feeling of of the the great outdoors. My dad was always, and mom were were always like, I mean, Idaho is like the best. But I was wild. You know, I don't think anybody could have stopped me. Why do you think? It's something that's in the blood. I think you know. I mean, I like living life to the fullest in all aspects. And I was like, had a pickup truck, and I left at home when I was like 16 years old, and um, started to cruise around the world. You know, to hell with school. <laughs> and I was like ski racing when I was little, and, and um, I spent a lot of time in the in by myself in the mountains. But I'm basically pretty much of a loner. Always have been a solitaire. There sounds to be a strong streak of rebelliousness within you, certainly at that stage. Yeah, it, yeah, there was. I was quite um, through the rebelliousness and what looked like to be wild and craziness. I was, I think, I was quite, quite scared. But do you think that was you rebelling against these family expectations? I have no idea. I think I was just running so fast, trying to uh, feel better. But on the other hand, I did have a lot of fun, and I got into some great adventures. I'm going to write a book about my adventures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a lot about you in, in those years which we don't know already? Um, yeah, there's there's a few adventures. I mean, like, I remember running uh, running away from home and being um, in North Africa by myself and being kidnapped on one of the largest hashish farms, you know? <laughs> it's like, it was pretty wild. And I never smoked it smoked that stuff before <laughs> so but you see how easy it is to talk about all that stuff when you do when you're you're out of it and it makes for good copy <laughs> it does people love it reading about it and also get it's it's hopeful for people that are are, are still stuck in it but I all have always believed that um, simplicity is, is the way and I think I've never been hooked into the money thing I've never been given money by my parents um, and I've always had a had a relationship with the great outdoors and with animals. And so when I came around to doing this healing work, I, I worked with with, uh, with a, a medicine man and have done shamanic work with the American traditional ways of the American Indian. And it's such powerful work, and it's it's and it's a lot of fun too. It's all dream work and, and animals and stuff. And so that. Walking this red road is what the American Indians call it. It's not easy, but it's all about truth. And I got to tell you something, and truth in God. I mean, great spirit or whatever you want to call it, your higher power, as they say in AA. I didn't really do the 12-step program, because probably because of my rebelliousness. But um, I do believe in it. Do you think the rebelliousness has left you now, or is it still within you, do you think? It's in me in an artistic way. You know, I believe there's there are many ways of the jungle. So there are more healthy channels for it now, you say. And um, there are many ways of the jungle, or many ways to skin a cat, you know. It's like there are a lot of ways to, to climb the mountain of, of, of doing this, this movie stuff, too. Would you say your artistic and creativity uh, have been inherited? Um, probably, yeah. Absolutely. God-given 
talents because the, the family is very with with the gene lines being pretty complicated there's there's a lot of uh, stuff that is that, that is in the family I mean my sister's is a great painter she's wonderful and Mariel certainly a good is really a, is, is a great artist and all of us are are pretty multi-talented it's the question of channeling the energy towards towards um, but my I feel good when I, I like helping you know, I like to be in service. It makes me feel good. And giving back is what it's all about. You said earlier that you weren't given money and so on by your family. Was that your choice or their choice? Both, I think. I, um, I never really thought about it. Money was never an issue. I always felt that I'm going to do it. You want to do it? Yeah. I can't stand looking at myself in the mirror. I never have. I was famous for it in the 70s. What do you think that says about you? Um, I've learned to like it. <laughs> I had to learn to like it. It was a big self-esteem issue. Is this a physical representation of what goes on inside you that you don't like examining? Uh, it's yourself? not a question of not liking it anymore. I think it used to be. Because I think it used to be like, oh my God, I look at myself and say, I'm not good enough to live up to that. Or, you know, I've got to live up to that, that, that skeletal outside. Living up to seems to be a fairly big issue with you. Do you agree with that? Um, it was. Now it's just living in the moment that is a big issue with me. It's hard not to, the idea is not to project, is to make the best out of each moment and not to project in the future. Because, you know, our minds work so fast, you can be here, but you're really on the plane back to London, and, you know, and going next, and what do you have to do, and da -da -da. <laughs> And rather than, and then being grounded here, that's the, that's the idea. And it makes, it makes for life being so much more fun. And I, and I tell you the great, the big thing that has done this, I've learned so many lessons through healing myself and having to pay all this money to the IRS, you know, and, and all these bills and by myself, and I'm terrible with numbers, you know, and making these choices and stuff and, not, and doing it by myself. It's like the least amount of fear is when you live in the moment and take it step by step. And people forget to breathe, too. It's like I do a lot of breathing, you know, and I've done a lot of breathing, too decharge the fear like oh my god am I making the right taking the right steps you know and it's like have you always felt a need to be competitive um, no but I am with myself are you with your family or sisters um yeah I think so I never used to say that but it's we are when you look back at it now do you see a lot of competition oh yeah because there there was so much competition but we never liked to say so and we were so far apart and um now I realize that there is no competition. There's no competition because there's only one of you and one of me. And Mary Ellen and I are like six years apart. She has her own thing. She's got two kids and, and you know, she's... A lot's been made of your relationship with Mary Ellen and sort of any rivalry between you. But there isn't, not anymore. Do you get I'm upset not... at those sort of accusations? Um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, um, and I never... None of us really like to, we'd never like to admit it. But um, I do, I mean, when I found out about the television show and all this, these hair commercials that she got, and I, I got to tell you, for the first time, I didn't get charged by it. I'm truly happy for her because we lead different lives and we're two different people. I mean, how often do you see each other? Um, I don't know, when I'm in town, which is not very often lately, but, you know, on holidays and when, and she's, when you do a television series, it's an awful lot of work. So she lives in Los Angeles? Yeah, she lives just not very far from here. But we're talking on the telephone at least once a 
relationship with people outside your family? My relationship with my family has affected the other people outside. That's an interesting question. How does it affect other people? Well, I think it's easier to approach the subject. I mean, and I believe that, like I told you before, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I like to be really open about everything. But when you begin that road of being truthful, you may open up a lot of uh, a, a can of worms in the beginning. It's like making amends with all the stuff that you've done. But on the other hand, what's better than truth? You decharge all this stuff. And, and people are more open to you and the family. They don't have to worry about what's going on or being said. There's no, there's no game playing. But do you see any clarity in, in the relationship you have with your father or your grandfather with um, men?
God forbid, I, I would never like to go back. But I wouldn't trade one moment. Because all the moment of pain that I've had has uh, subject me to being introspective and open to to all the, uh, all the good stuff that I feel now. Is it difficult now to recall the worst times of pain? And you just do things in a very sort of... No, I have to... I'm, I've recorded all my childhood stuff. And now I'm... This next month I gotta start working on my book. When you say you've recorded, you've written it down yeah, in sort of yeah. autobiographical. Yeah, and it was hard. It, I mean, I have to do more and work on it. I mean, but it's definitely painful. Was that part of the cathartic experience? Yeah, absolutely. Were there a lot of tears when you were going through that? Yeah, I gotta take something for many years, for like ten years. I didn't cry. And um, that was like the, the male side of being Hemingway, you know. It's like, be tough, you can live through it here, you can, in like this. And I had to decharge that, that, that male stuff because men, I mean, I, I, men have to learn how to open up and cry. And I knew, and I always knew that I was a great actress. <clears throat> I couldn't figure out what I was going to do, you know, and I had all these feelings inside, but I, you know, I couldn't let down the veil. And so that's kind of the work that I had to do, and it's very painful when all, you know, I've done workshops, and because I didn't have the money for psychiatry, so I went into healing work, and it's very, it's actually faster than psychiatry, because you get a good expert processor that can push your buttons, they'll push it like that, and stuff starts coming up, and it's like, ah, you know, and it's so scary, you know, but it's like you're on the hot seat. But stuff will start to come up, and I remember the first time I cried in like 10 or 15 years, and it's like, man, it was like, because I was epileptic growing up, it was like an epileptic seizure. I mean, it was waves of energy, I mean, it was like, it was unbelievable. But it changed my my body on a cellular level, I changed, the, sh the shape of my body changed. It's like, because, and also... I do a lot of body work also, and, and, you know, the emotional body holds different parts of the emotion. Like, you can say your legs hold a lot of anger, and uh, your arms are connected to your heart. And and it's like opening up these different areas, chakra areas. What it was in particular which sparked that off? Somebody across from me said that I wasn't being, I wasn't being true to my feelings, or something very... Made me very scared. Like, how could they think that I'm not, you know, sensitive and I'm not being there and being honest about it? You know, they don't know. And it was like, they didn't know who I was. They knew who I was Margot Hemingway, you know, like this famous person. But um, I've never had a, I don't know, I think I have a great gift for not looking at this fame, fame stuff. I never heard myself as like that, which I think is a great asset because it's kept my ego out of trouble. I imagine the fame aspect makes it even more difficult to go through any personal pressures, doesn't it? Because you're doing well, it in public scrutiny. Well, I think it's, a, it's an outside pressure, but with my with the lack of ego, it's helped me a lot. See, there's a balance between self and self-esteem and, and ego. See, the question of balance comes up with me a lot. Do you think that helps because you were always going to be famous anyway, having the name? Yeah, you know? I do think. I think it, I think that has helped. Been detrimental and helped. You've gone into the movies you went into. I mean, that's sort of asking it's for trouble. cutthroat business. Movies are cutthroat. I mean, I love, and now I'm really coming into my own as, as an actress, and I'm ready to break through again. But what I, <clears throat> the interesting thing is, like, coming back and doing all these 
stupid movies and little movies and anything I can get my hands on. It's like I had to learn foundation. And because I had no foundation before and I had so much fear because I couldn't read scripts. And I didn't. And I always knew I was supposed to, to act. It was like something I've always known. But I, I couldn't read the scripts and I was terrified to go to an acting class or to go to, you know, for readings and, and cold readings. But I've, I've, now I work with the coach that, that works with children and we do it all visually. So when it's in visually, it comes from your heart because you know what's happening. And so I have no, and the more of the, the more stuff that I've done, it, it, it takes away the fear. So you walk in a oneness in the parts that it's really, really fun. It's very powerful. Other than your reading difficulties, do you think your name and your beauty also held you back from being taken seriously as an actress? Um, probably. I don't even like to address it. I get. I probably. All that running around, I know, and 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 exposure, like at Studio Fifty Four, where I never. I mean, the few times that I ever went to Studio Fifty Four, they caught me there, photographed me, and I used to take the the first husband I was married to for like a year and a half. I used to take him in there because he couldn't get in on his own. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say, but true. And and um, and they always photographed me, and I was very uncomfortable in those situations. Do you think you've made bad choices over men in the past? Um, Bernard was the. I mean, we had the most fun. I can tell you, we had great adventures, and I don't consider that a mistake at all. I don't think anything is a mistake. I had to learn everything that has gotten me to where I am today is because of those choices. And it's like all in the big, in the grand scheme of things. I have a good ability to see, like, overview. How do you think your view of men has changed now? Um, I think men are great. I just think that they have to really, men ha have to honor their feminine side, you know? And because um, they have so much power. And when they do, when men start honoring the feminine aspect of themselves, it's incredible. There's a lot of it's fabulous. There's a lot of controversy in America at the moment over various trials and cases which come out involving men attacking women, yeah, yeah, intruding on their yeah. It's all come up to the. I mean, it's like so interesting, so interesting, and and these things aren't for. There's no accident that there is that Anita Hill and the judge and and um, uh, who knows what, who knows who's right. That guy is in for life. I ain't buying it, you know, <laughs> but. The idea is that the, all these things have come up to public awareness to show people that you can't dishonor woman, and woman can't dishonor men anymore. You know, and it's not about being a male. I mean, women. The problem with women now that they've had to, we've had to go out there and fight so hard, and we become like males. And that's not what it's all about either. It's about being feminine and honoring that power, and the men also, and in balance. Do you think things are evening up now? Well, it's also, you know, because all, all, all this stuff, there's no coincidence that all this stuff is in the in the public forefront. I mean, it's great. I wouldn't miss this time of life and feel the way I do for anything, for anything. I wouldn't trade anything. Do you think you're a feminist? Yeah, I, I do. I believe in it. I, I truly believe in it. It's something, you know, ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculously, that has to be. What are your feelings about marriage these days? Um, I don't know. I think marriage is for kids. That's my feeling today. <laughs> but you know, you never know when you get madly involved.
be the more I open up to it and the more you know like I've cured this reading disability also with the healing work and um, I also I should mention this because this has helped a lot of people um, I found this woman this uh, institution called the Erlen Institute for Reading Disabilities which they work with kids they, this lady had noticed that young children refract the light turning their heads like this dys dyslectic children and they discovered that different shades of colors rainbow of colors that tested with the eyes um, work for for reading disabilities so I went in there and tested for two days and on languages that I didn't understand just to see to read them through different colored lenses I reacted to the blue and it, once I hit the blue lens and hit the page, the because I used to get terrible headaches when I'd start to read and just fall asleep, the words stopped moving around the page. It was wild, and it was like going, "Oh my God!" You know, it's like things are like straight, and I didn't know that they were moving until they stopped moving. Isn't that neat? And so I'm going, "Whoa!" <laughs> and so, and then I've used these glasses for the last four years, and now I don't need them anymore. And so. So all sorts of stuff, and that's and that happened like a, a month after I I stopped drinking and went to Betty Ford and started getting my body and everything. You know, so like what I say about the positive things for yourself, everything starts to move in a positive uh, direction. It's things just open up for you. You know, so it's like it's it's not all so depressing out there. It can be very fun, and you don't have to be stoned all the time. <laughs> you know. Because basically the reason I do all this stuff is because it's so much fun. And it's a much it's a it's a much better high than I ever got drinking. Do you wish you'd taken better care of yourself over the years or is it simply like I don't have anything to say about it. I take really good care of myself now. Um no. <laughs> because I wouldn't have had about so much stuff. You know, I wouldn't have had to work through I mean it's been really interesting. I mean it's just it's a it's Life has been a mind-blowing experience. Are you surprised in what good shape you've come out the other end? Yeah. I mean, I mean there are moments when I really didn't think that I'd ever be not believe, be bulimic or really, you know, I mean, all this stuff. And I, I want to hear about your, your name change. I was quite intrigued about that. So. Okay, the name change is that I decided that after all this work that I've done, that why should I be a bottle of wine? not a Chateau Margot. I'm a Margot, and so that's the my, the way it's spelled on my passport is OT. So when did you change it in the first place, and why? Because my dad told me that I was conceived on a bottle of Chateau Margot, and then it, when it, when I got it publicized and when I was on the cover of Time magazine, they and my dad blatantly said, well, we couldn't have afforded it then. And so I, I the AUX, it's quite, it's quite nice spelling. But I also, I did... I don't know, I just decided that it was time to come back to myself. So how are you letting everybody know about this name change? Are you sort of telling agents and managers? No, I just, so, I mean, it's no big deal. It's just, now you know. <laughs> now what about um, work-wise? What is happening with you? What, have you got any plans at all, any projects you're pursuing? I'm up for a couple of projects, so you never know. And you keep your fingers crossed. And I've done six movies this last year. You know, I've really been busy, and I want—I would love to work with a great European director. My plans are to do a great film and work with a great director, and to have a wonderful love affair. What is your motto for your life at this stage? 
is more. And your hopes for the future, what, what, how would you like to be in? Well, I just hope that I can be of help to people that have, you know, that go through a lot of, uh, you know, have got, have problems. I hope this interview can help people. And I hope that um, I can be a part of this, uh, you know, helping. I consider myself a conservation activist. Um, you know, when they call me to come in and bring, you know, public awareness to an area, it's very important. And um, people should follow their hearts. <laughs>